Trick or treat. Let's do a Halloween special. Michael Rennie was ill. The day the earth stood still. But he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there. Silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong for Faye in King Kong. They got caught in a celluloid jail. Then at a deadly pace came from outer space. And this is how the message ran. Science fiction. Double feature Dr. X will build a creature See androids fighting Brad and Janet And Francis stars in Forbidden planet. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. At the late night double feature picture show. Welcome to Confessions of a Working Writer, the podcast where we do holiday specials because it's important to do holiday specials. Uh, as always, I am your intrepid working writer and host, wondering why the hell I keep coming back to the microphone. No, I don't. I like the sound of my own voice. That's why I keep coming back. Uh, Matt Hampton. And we just had new intro music, a wonderful little section from the Rocky Horror Picture Show classic, science fiction double feature performed by our guest because we're doing a Halloween special. So we brought a guest performed by our guest. You know her. You'll love her. If you've listened to the podcast enough, you've heard her a couple times. Georgia's back with us today. Hey, Georgia. Hello. I'm so glad to be back. Right? It's been a long time. I did that like whole year of talking about myself. I'm kind of glad to have someone here. Well, now you can talk to me. <laughs> right? It's hard to talk to yourself for a year. It sucks. <laughs> um, so, Georgia, tell give it, for, for those who might not know, you know, the people who aren't really literate and aren't really well-read or well-versed in the arts who might not know who you are, <laughs> um, go ahead and give an intro. So my name's Georgia, um, stage name Georgia Moon. I am a musician. I teach at School of Rock here in North Carolina. I've known Matt for over six years now, I want to say. Yeah, Something it's, like, like it's, that. it's inevitably Five linked to the years. Trump presidency. So. Yeah, yeah. So the day after that happened, um, we met. Um, <laughs> but he's my mentor, and I... Aside from being a musician, I'm also a poet and working on a novel on and off again for the past, you know, 10 years. It'll get done eventually. Um, <laughs> but uh, photographer, visual artist as well. Uh, jack of all trades. Sweet. Yeah. So so she is uh, she is all the art things I'm not. Um, like, let's go with that. She is all, Georgia's all the art things I'm not, and, uh, is pretty much all of my professional street cred lately. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, so we had a little science fiction double feature, little, little cover homage there. Cause we're in October, right? We're in October. Uh, as of the recording of this, we're a couple weeks from Halloween, we're in my inspiration overload time. This is my time of year when my inspiration is off the chart and I spend the whole time like harvesting ideas that I will then like not write about for the next year. 
Um, yes, but tis the season. Right, but at least I had the ideas, you know, like some of those ideas are going to be like really good. They're like Snickers bars and you're like when you go trick-or-treating, some of my ideas are the full-size Snickers and I get right into them. And then some of my ideas are like like the tiny little boxes of like Boston baked beans and shit that they hand out <laughs> and uh, they're going to hang out. They're going to probably decay. They're going to turn into... For a little boxes. while, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, never getting, they're never getting used, but they were there. Um, <laughs> and it's rude to say no to candy. So, <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk today, uh, for those of you listening to us, we're, George and I are going to have a little conversation about um, seasonal inspiration, right? And like seasonal inspiration, meaning when you find a time of the year that really resonates with you, I think inspiration is, is one of those weird topics for writers. Cause we think about it like some super weird mystical, like for like, it's the fucking force. Like we're in star Wars, and you know, right. Or like the calling on the Greek muses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like my muse is like a five foot five pot bellied guy with a mustache. You choose on a cigar cigar named Manny from South Philly. So the Greek muses <laughs> don't really work for me. <laughs> Um, but I, look, I didn't ask. He's the muse that got assigned my case. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, yeah, when you're a writer, one of the great ways to like think about inspiration is to think about seasonal inspiration. So I wanted to bring on another artist to talk because I could easily probably talk about this shit for 30 minutes to myself. But I wanted to bring on someone else to, to share and expand upon this. So Georgia, what like seasons, so I know we're in the Halloween season, but but what seasons in general do you find inspiration in, right? Honestly, autumn is the best time of year for me. It's also kind of a complicated time of year. Um, it's my birthday. Uh, I just had a birthday last week. Uh, yes, uh, happy yay. birthday. Thank birthday you. Yeah, so now I'm another year older. Um, and so oh, no. like, the older I get, the more I like kind of dread birthday season, but it was, uh, just like childhood memories of going to the county fair, um, getting all dressed up for Halloween, going trick or treating. Um, and then as I've gotten older, like really stocking up on ghost stories and experiences of my own. So this season is just ripe for the picking, in my opinion. Yeah. So much happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of this season too. Um, I mean, I think you and I, so, so I, we met in Charleston and I am still in Charleston where the seasons come to die. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I haven't had a real fall in forever, but I mean, I'm originally from Missouri, uh, you know, by means of like 80 other places where we actually did have weather um, and, and fall right. and stuff. So that was good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is just that time of, of year when I feel really connected to things, when I start thinking through things. Um, mm-hmm. How do you deal with seasonal inspiration? Like, what do you do? Like, I kind of said me, I just sort of write everything down and hope to God I use it someday. But like, how do you make use of seasonal inspiration? I try to consume things that are relevant to the season as they're happening. So like, are we talking spring, like pumpkin spice or are we? <laughs> I am a huge fan of pumpkin spice. Uh, call, me ba- call me basic, but it is Look, what it is. I, I, like, I, am, I like cinnamon. I like all the spices. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of pumpkin spice. So if <laughs> pumpkin people think pie I, is- <laughs> yeah, if people think I'm basic, they can just go fuck right the hell off. Um, yeah. Uh, pumpkin pie is the superior pie. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. So, like literal consumption, and also like metaphorical consumption of media, and like in springtime, I might listen to more love songs or like uh, tiptoe through the day, like whatever that song is. You know, like <laughs> I'm tiptoeing spring, through things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't think of the song at the moment, but tulips you know what I mean. Like, was, was, yes, yeah. tulips is the alliteration there. Thank you. Tiptoe through the tulips, like bright, happy songs. Whereas um in autumn and fall like coming up on winter i really tend to take a deep dive into the blues again and that brings up a whole uh like can of worms because you get to thinking about like okay where did the blues start it started in the mississippi delta region um robert johnson immediately comes to mind and then you're like okay so this guy 
supposedly made a deal with the devil and then it's like okay well that opens up like the whole Samhain like thinning of the veil Halloween why we celebrate Halloween in the first place so it like all comes congeals uh, pretty solidly for me in my mind anyway Right, we, we we go with allegedly. We allegedly yes, back when yes. Robert Johnson allegedly sold his soul to the devil. Um, allegedly, I think that's yes. the new parlance now. <laughs> Content creator speak like allegedly. Mm-hmm. He allegedly sold his soul to the devil to play the guitar better. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you there. Like, I, this is the time of year when I like so so. Marianne and I have been you know here hunkered down in the house. Um, and it's, it's monster movie madness. And this year I really needed like, so I've been in monster movie madness just for everyone's like reference. We've been in monster movie madness in September. Mm-hmm. Like I needed my fucking holiday season this year. Okay. <laughs> like 2021 has been a bit rough. I needed my holiday season. Yes. So I started monster movie madness in September and, and we start revisiting these things and I am a, I'm a movie nut, but I'm a bit, I'm really influenced by horror movies and like horror movies over a really long course of time. Like you and I've talked about this. I, I go all the way back to like thirties, forties, those classic universal monster pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but also like going into like my, some of my favorites are the Vincent price films of the fifties and sixties. Um, you know, the hammer horror films of the seventies and even then into, cause I was born in 1980 into the like slasher movies of the 1980s, the Friday, the 13th, the nightmare on Elm streets, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and even some weird obscure offshoots of that. And it was just, it, it, this is a time when I see those things again and I kind of revisit, you know, in my mind, I wrote a piece about revisiting this stuff, um, last week. I think I wrote it last week about revisiting this kind of stuff, uh, as inspiration. Right. And just like the kind of impact that it has on you and where you start to think. Um, so like suddenly I'm thinking like scary short stories again and maybe stuff that might become a novel later or just weird stuff. Like I'm just generally kind of like in that creative mood and it doesn't limit there. Like that's the weird part, right? Like I'm not going, Oh, I watch monster movies and then I just write like scary stories. Like sometimes I'm getting like, I'm in a new burst of inspiration for my novel, which is not really a horror piece. Um, it's a yeah. satire and you know, I'm like, Oh shit, the novel is here. Cause I'm just writing that wave. Right. Right. That's the important thing um, is to take advantage of the energy this season brings. Or, or lack of energy. If, like, I don't know, I have seasonal depression, so I tend to slow down as the days get shorter, and I'm trying to, like, autumn is like the last burst of energy before I sort of go dormant in the, in the winter. Yeah. Um, you know? No, I mean, that makes tons of sense, right? Like, like it's knowing your... Uh fuck i'm gonna actually say it this way and it's not gonna sound good but we're gonna go for it anyway you need to know your cycle um when you're a writer, <laughs> right? like, you need to know your cycle uh like you do though you need to know like when you're gonna create right like your yeah. creative yeah. cycle you dirty sons of bitches that listen mm-hmm. um, like they're like he said cycle i guarantee you there's one there's one person giggling <laughs> right now he said cycle and i don't even know why the fuck he's listening um, but yeah, you, you need, to know, right. You need to know your creative, like your creative setup. Like you need to know when you're most effective and when you're not effective. Um, mm-hmm. and, and take that time. This is, this is where that productivity shit with writing gets really weird, right? Like, look, I'm a big, you know me, I'm a big believer of write every day. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in write every day. But hang on, I didn't say write shit you were going to publish every day. I just said no. write. Exactly. Like, some days I'm lucky to get a haiku. There are days I'm like, I wrote a haiku, done. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a Halloween haikus. That would be fun. Ooh. I kind of want to write a Universal Monster themed haiku now. That's a, that's a good idea. I was trying to think of something on the spot, but I don't. I, I, I'm not coming up with anything because I really want to write a Frankenstein-themed haiku, and he really fucks up the syllable setup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he brings three whopping syllables right there, and you're like, shit. 
Right, and Frankenstein's monster is like that's it. That's your first line. Yeah, like or your it, last line. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that makes it easier. Like I already have the line one and three written. Uh, yeah, I just have to yeah. write something in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is kind of that thing when we talk about those seasonal. Like you're you're kind of if you're listening to this, that's kind of what just happened, right? Like oh, Halloween haikus. Oh, we could do this, and and I think writers get too caught up in trying to get to the finished product. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this a lot. So like, I'm, I'm curious, walk us through like kind of how an idea vaguely, cause I know it's not going to be perfect, but walk us through like vaguely how an idea kind of goes from Genesis to you to like execution. So I have a song that I've been working on. Uh, I probably wrote this, line in my high school notebook and I wrote the line between dreamers and doers poets often dwell and it's like I said it's been around since high school which is at least 11 if not 12 years old and only recently have I sort of been crafting verses around it because that seems like important enough to be in a chorus to me Um, it's like a folk breakup song um <laughs> Joni Mitchell style I mean, <laughs> and, uh, you know if you can't write a folk breakup song what kind of breakup song can you really write yeah I mean it's uh it's uh anyway that line was particularly poignant to me enough that I remembered it 11 years later um finally put it into a song wrote verses um with bits and pieces I was kind of like Frankensteining huh um this song together i award you two points for the reference thank you thank you um you know pick in a few lines from one poem that had never you know seen the light of day no one else had ever heard it before um just bits and pieces here and there until i finally like had a rough structure and then in one of those rare instances for me where the melody came along at the same time as i was putting the words in order usually I will write lyrics first. And I feel like that's unusual for a musician. Most of my friends that I've talked to have um, melodies that come to them or chord progressions that they find and they usually do the music first. And I'm always, not always, like 98% of the time I write the words first. Um, So that's like the most recent thing I've been working on. It's been at least 11 years in the making. Yeah, so it, it, here's an interesting point. So as we all know, I'm a big Vonnegut head. Um, and, and so Vonnegut always talked about like Slaughterhouse-Five was a book that theoretically the, the groundwork was laid when he survived the firebombing of Dresden. Um, but he didn't write it for like a couple decades after mm-hmm. that event. And he always said like he wasn't ready to write it, right? Like yeah. he had the idea, it just could, he couldn't make it work. Um, so is that kind of how you feel with this line? Like 11 years later, did you like go out with line and go, Oh, that's cool. But I don't have anything for it. Yeah. I was like, it was in the midst of some crappy, like sappy stuff. And I was like, that's the one pull that one line I pulled from the wreckage and like refurbished it into this song that I'm actually really proud of. Um, but like you and I have talked about my novel as well. Like you've known about it since we met essentially. And I started writing that in college. Um, it has the bones to yeah. be something, but uh, as you and I say, like I'm not ready to finish it yet. Like it, it, I need, I need a little more life in me. Yeah, I mean, like, I, and so this is a really good point. I'm glad this came up because I, I think this is saying when we talk about inspiration, we tend to think like, boom, I, I've been inspired. I have to strike while the iron is hot. That's it. Mm-hmm. Let me use this now. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I did. Like, I, anything I talk about on this thing, as you well know, I've done. Right? So if I'm like, oh, we got to use the inspiration now, like, that's because I did that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's normal. Like, it's, it's, you're like, oh, God, I got to find a thing. Yeah. But sometimes we're just not ready. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes we're just not there. Um, and I mean, your novel, my novel, like my novel, I, I had the idea. All right. So for those of you listening, like I had the idea for my novel years ago when I was like selling life insurance and shit. 
because those are the life experiences. Like for me, the real life experiences that really inspire you are never super dramatic, right? It's never like a first kiss on a bridge. It's always like, so I was selling life insurance, <laughs> wanted to die. Um, like, so, you know, that's what we do. So I, I, you know, I had the idea, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't distant enough from the, the experience that was like the source of inspiration for me to really be able to do anything with it. Like, so I had it and I nurtured it and I've, here's the funny part, like over those years and, and Georgia knows, and, and for those of you who are listening now, you get to know, like over the years, I've been like sitting down writing notes about this. I have hundreds of pages of pre-writing on my novel where I was just working through ideas, checking things out, try this, try that, see what happens here, see what happens there um, until I was really ready. And it has only really been this year that I've really been like, okay, cool. The idea has coalesced we're into it. We now know what it is, you know, but I had to kind of get around the idea. Like, what is this thing that I'm trying to create? Right. And I think we get real eager. Like we don't want to lose, like the, we treat inspiration, like it's little golden nuggets and we don't want to lose it. Yeah. But it's like, I was 19 when I came up with this idea for a novel and I hadn't lived that much yet. You know what I'm saying? And I'm 29 now. So 10 years later, I um, have a bit more of experience with things and I, I haven't forgotten about it. And it's occasionally I'll, something will happen to me or I'll observe something in passing and I'll write it down in my notebook. Maybe I'll come back to it, you know. Um, as long as it's written down, I won't forget about it. Uh, I'm still absorbing that blow that you're 29 and I'm getting old. <laughs> Um, hey, I'm not 28 anymore, though. That's the thing. That's true. 29. 29 and that's One more year until I'm old. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> One more year until you're old and I become like the crypt keeper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I start putting on a black robe and saying, good, yeah. good. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> don't bother old Mr. Hampton. He just, just let him be there. He's trapped in a Star Wars fantasy. He orders the, tells the orderlies that, you know, not to underestimate the power of the dark side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just a weird old man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think for starters, you're better than I was when I was like younger, right? When I was 19, I was not forethinking enough to be like, oh, maybe I'm not ready to write this shit yet. No, uh, <laughs> I was an arrogant little asshole at 19. Like I, I could write the world. Um, you all just didn't appreciate my genius. That was literally what I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean like, you know, sometimes you're just not in the right place to use the thing you've got and you got it. You just kind of sit on it. Sometimes you got a good idea for a line and you just don't know what the follow up to it is. Right. Yeah. I have lots of half, thoughts in my notebooks lots of half and, poems <laughs> yeah yeah it's like this is not a complete thought but it's part of one that maybe will be finished later and maybe i'll burn it in a bonfire in my backyard you never know yeah that's another interesting one we get into um uh, another one we really get uh get into a lot is this idea of of um finishing this is an interesting, this is an interesting pass. So we're kind of, guys, you, if you know me, you know we're kind of free-forming this discussion on the fly. Uh, <laughs> so free-forming is really interesting because I think people believe like there is a very common, and, and it's, there's a lot of well-known writers that argue it, that you need to finish everything you start. And I'm not sure I've ever been that guy. And, and there are other writers who say you don't, bear in mind. Like their writing advice is, is all over the fucking place. Mm -hmm. But I, I've never been that person. So, you know, like, how do you deal with, like, stuff you put down? Like, how often do you re-explore stuff you set down? I did a writing sprint for a month with some friends from my school, um, College of Charleston. And this was last year. So in April, po National Poetry Month, we decided to write every day in bursts of 30 minutes. There were three of us. And I only last month reopened the Word document to re-examine <laughs> what I had written in April of 2020. 
Nice. And it it wasn't even that I was anxious about revisiting it. I just kind of forgot about it, to be honest. I was like, this will come back when it's meant to sort of thing. And, you know, I was looking for new material for um, another poem, like, in September. And I was like, well, you know, maybe it's time. I've, I've matured in a different way. I've put enough time between myself and the work that I think I can read it with a uh, unbiased opinion or less biased opinion. So I am not afraid to set things down for a very long time with the understanding that I will eventually be in the right headspace to come back to it. I don't think I need like to set a timer or an alarm on my phone and be like, okay, in 30 days, I'm going to, you know, open this file again and edit it. But uh, it's sort of like a feeling I get like, oh yeah, maybe I, fe I feel comfortable enough now to see what I wrote with fresh eyes. Yeah. Looking back on stuff is such a weird experience. This, mm -hmm. this past week, I, I opened a notebook from like back when we first met and mm. I was, it was so terrifying to do. It was like that scene in Indiana Jones when he finds the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And I was like, oh <laughs> shit. Um, so I opened this up and I start looking through it. And I mean, to be fair, there were some flashes of brilliance in there. Mm -hmm interspersed with some explosions of stupidity but there were some there were some moments yeah it had its moments um and then i immediately closed it again i was like wow i am a really different fucking writer yeah i need to show you this i know the listeners can't see it but this is my bible that we started writing the musical in oh yeah we were working and on I, a musical and we'll come back to it yeah, oh, for sure. But I just have that in my bag always, just in case. You know, you never know when inspiration's going to hit. Yeah, like, I, yeah, so so this is, God, we're just going to air all our laundry today. So audience, um, Georgia and I were working on a musical, and it's never been completed. Like, we've never actually completed a drought of this thing, because it just, I, do, I don't know that it was ever the right time. I, the idea right. is good. I still like <laughs> the idea. I still let it kind of sit in my head and, and kind of mull over on it. But it just got, it wasn't really the right time for it um, immediately. But I'm sure one day it will be. Like, that's the thing, you know? Like, one day we'll be like, oh, shit, yeah, you remember that? Oh, and I'm sure we'll finish it. Uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, again, that was however many years ago, and I haven't given up on it. It's just, it's still percolating. Yeah, it, it just, ideas take time, man. I think that's, mm -hmm. we want to believe that you can just sit down and crank out an idea. And some people can, and, and some people like to think they can. I'm, I'm going to be really honest. <laughs> some people can, and some people like to believe they can, right? Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe the best writing skill you can ever develop is learning when you're not ready for something. Mm -hmm. that, but I, I mean, a lot of people will never figure that shit out. They, they won't. They'll just, you know. Everything I do is art. Right. Everything I do is art. It's amazing. No one. Yeah, oh God. Nothing is true and verifiable. Um, <laughs> inside joke. I'm not starting that shit on the podcast. But um, yeah, so let's see. What ground have we covered? A lot, really. We've talked a lot about inspiration. You know yeah, what? Yeah. Let's jump into this. Let's so. I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep. Let's start going. We're going to go back and forth. So we're going to talk about three big sources of like three things we draw inspiration of from related directly to this season. So stories or, um, and you know what, let's go. I'm going to add, cause we got a little extra time from where we were originally going to be. Let's do four. So we're going to do four each things that we draw inspiration from. It could be a story, it could be a book, it could be a movie, it can be a whatever. So, uh, I'm I'm a gentleman on occasion. So ladies <laughs> first, uh, Georgia, you're you're up. What is one thing in this season? One thing that that at this time of year is a real great source of inspiration for you. Definitely the film Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. As a child, I was not into horror movies. I was easily frightened of um, ghosts and things because movies seemed so real to me. Um, I literally once asked my mom while we were watching Dr. No how the cameraman didn't get shot at while they were 
chasing James Bond around. To be fair, um, it is a good question. Because <laughs> I thought I, it was a I, mean, I thought it was a documentary, not a Yeah, um, look, like if you movie. think that um, film, <laughs> if you don't know what special effects are, being like, how does this shit not happen? Like that's the mark of a writer. If yeah. you don't know that this is fake and you're watching it and you're like, huh? Like, I mean, look, I'll be fair. I wondered how the hell you film in space for Star Wars. So. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. It's like, the oh, they're on another planet? What? Right? Like, um, where the hell is Tatooine? <laughs> so, but but one of the movies, you know, black and white movie, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I was obsessed with it as a child. And every Halloween around this time of year, you know, I would just start watching it on repeat, and I thought it was the funniest thing. I mean, it's got Bela Lugosi as Dracula, it's got Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman, um, Glenn Strange is playing Frankenstein's monster, and it, to me, it was funny, but also a little bit scary, um, and I just, I mean, I watched all Avant Costello movies religiously at that point in my life, um, which I seeing looking back now is kind of unusual because not a lot of kids my age knew who was on first. I mean, um, I was a big, big Three Stooges fan. Yeah, yeah. My dad and I love the Three Stooges. My mom yeah. was not. Like, just to be fair, I was a big, you know, I was a big Three Stooges guy. Yeah, yeah. But that movie, it was the mixture of comedy and horror that really made it um passable for me to watch and like be okay with it. So I love that movie. It came out in nineteen forty eight. And and um I think I think as we uh talked about earlier today, the um it's it's a big focus on storytelling. It's not just gore and blood and guts everywhere. Like there is a plot. Like they need Costello's brain to reanimate Frankenstein's monster. So this alluring exotic woman is like trying to seduce Lou Costello and Bud Abbott is like the smart one of course and is like trying to prevent his friend from being having Don't a brain. Take my friend's brain. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's funny and you've got some original actors in there and it's yeah, I, I could talk all day about that movie. I like it. Yeah. So Abbott and Costello. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a good first. Yeah. Okay. My turn. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with like low hanging fruit on this one. Um, uh, this time of year, I always think about um, the original nightmare on Elm street, the 1984 mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. Uh, similar reasons. I learned a lot of, so, so I did see it when I was younger cause I had sadistic cousins um so like (laughs) yeah so like you're you were like oh georgia gets scared watch abbott costello mine were like oh man get scared let's fuck with him and keep him awake forever Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) like that was the difference in our upbringings was like here watch nightmare on elm street and then i just don't ever want to sleep um probably accountable for insomnia as an adult probably Mm -hmm. something there Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i remember the original nightmare on elm street Um, And I mean, I grew up in an era of like 80s slasher flicks. So, you know, there was a lot going on. But Nightmare was always that interesting one. It had a really neat idea. Um, As I got older, it would really impact like creative process. Because I remember listening to Wes Craven talk about how the idea came from him reading a newspaper story um, about Cambodian teenagers who had been refugees who came over and were like dying in their sleep. And it looked like they'd been screaming in their sleep. And I was like, wow, that's cool. He like grabbed, he just pulled that thing right out of thin air. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Freddy Krueger was always a great villain. Like Freddy Krueger is the example of just let the villain be the fucking villain, right? Like he's a child rapist and killer. Like they never try to, Freddy is so unsympathetic, a bad guy. You're like, well, yeah, they burned him to death, but you were a kitty rapist. I mean, that's yeah. like, there's, there's nowhere where we're like, I feel bad. And then Platinum Dunes with that old 2000s shit tried to remake it. Maybe he wasn't a child rapist. Like, no, just, just let it be. <laughs> let him be a pedophile serial killer because we're just, we're, we're happier with that. 
Um, and it explains how he becomes sadistic. Um, I love Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, the final girl. We've talked about this before where, you know, other final girls are like, okay, I'm going to pull myself up and go. But like Nancy's researching like anti-personnel traps and shit from army manuals. Right. Yeah. There's something really cool about that. Like all the other final girls like happen to make it through, but Nancy's like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Um, and it was just so imaginative. The, the dream sequence was a big thing when I went to playwriting, when I started my writing journey as a playwright. The fact that, like, Nightmare does a great job of playing with, like, the shift in reality between dreaming and not dreaming and, and what mm-hmm. you can believe. And I also love the, the practical effect side of it. Not because that impacts me directly as a writer, but because it gets your brain thinking about other ways to tell a story. Right, it's like there's the scene where Robbie is ha- is hung in jail. Look, and if you guys are like Matt, spoilers for Nightmare on Elm Street. It came out in 1984. Fucking really? Um, like, <laughs> like seriously, we're really here. It came out in 1984. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm not giving you a spoiler warning. Okay. <laughs> Right, that's your problem. But like Robbie <laughs> hangs himself, and so they had the sheet, and they put like a, a fishing line in it, and pulled it away, and then reversed the film, or like the bloody, the rotating room when Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed. There were so many really cool techniques that they used in that to storytell, and it just kind of let me. It opened the idea to me that I didn't have to be limited by what was reality to tell stories. I could like find a way to make shit work, and that was a really big deal to me. Um, you know, it. it dared me to kind of step out so yeah i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna lock in my number one answer as uh the classic 1984 nightmare on elm street nice that's i actually saw that movie for the first time recently it's a great movie it it will fuck you up It, it, it is still scary to this day oh yeah yeah i was disturbed but it was worth watching and now i know all the pop culture references to it and and Johnny yeah. Depp sucks in that movie. Like, it's my favorite part, whatever. It was like, <laughs> oh, because you get like super Johnny Depp fan people who are like, he's the yeah. greatest actor ever. You're like, you ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street? Mm-hmm. Everybody starts somewhere. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, okay. So, my number two is an Appalachian folktale. It's called Taylor Poe. And it. I used to sneak into the big kid section of the elementary school library at my school and read the ghost stories and scary stories to freak myself out because I wasn't allowed to consume them at home or I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> so I would um, read way past my. Right. You know, so do it without three. parental supervision, like yes, trauma without yes. parents. Yes. Um, so I would, uh, Tilly Post specifically freaked me out so much. And if you aren't familiar with the story of Paleypo, it is this creature that lives in the Appalachian Mountains. Looks kind of like, it was an illustrated children's book too, so there's like pictures, you never see him, Paleypo, the creature, until the very last page, where he like, okay, but to, but to backtrack. So it's this basic gist of the story, there's this old man, has his hound dogs, lives up in a cabin up in the mountains of North Carolina, and is like hunting in autumn you know for food and probably squirrels or whatever so anyway he shoots the tail off this creature picks it up carries it back home makes soup out of it makes a stew and then that night he hears this noise outside his cabin door and it's saying paley po paley po i've come to get my paley po and then one by one his dogs start disappearing like the, the creature keeps coming back over a period of days, you know? And um, at the very last scene, he's like, uh, <laughs> Taily Poe, Taily Poe, I think I found my Taily Poe. And he is at the foot of this man's bed and it's just like big old eyes and like little tufted ears are just like little claws are just like peeping over the headboard or the base floorboard, uh, whatever, um, of his bed, you know? And it's like, the tension that has been building this entire story, it's probably only like 25 pages. It's a very short, you know, children's book. Um, <laughs> then the telepo creature rips its tail out of the man's stomach and then walks off and it's like, I found my tail. Um, that story was very disturbing. Yeah, it sounds actually really pleasant. Yeah. Like, and it's like, the but the, I, th- I think the kicker for me was the fact that it was set in North Carolina 
was like, oh my God, I don't hunt, I'm a child, but if I did, the telepoke could come after me in the woods. And so I was like on edge in the woods by myself playing as a child as well. Because I could still do that. You know, I grew up in the 90s where I could still go outside and be alone for hours at a time unsupervised. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a sweet little tale. <laughs> <laughs> Tailey Poe. Great, great. Uh, <laughs> Look it uh, up. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll answer with a story by own. So my number two is is going to be, and you'll know this one. They'll know this one. Uh, my number two is going to be uh, a Charleston classic, uh, the tale of Lavinia Fisher. Mm-hmm. So I'm a look like I'm a big moral satanic panic kind of guy, and Lavinia Fisher is this remarkably complicated story. So for those of you who listen who don't live in Charleston, like Charleston is a fucking tour guide town. And when I say tour guide town, I mean that because you have no idea until you really do some digging what the real history of Charleston is, right? Like, because you'll get one. So I say that because Lavinia, so the best historical example I have of Lavinia is, for example, she was executed. And I'll get into the story in a second. But she was executed. And every historian seems to agree that her body was buried in a potter's field near the old jail. But depending on the tour you take in Charleston, they will tell you the circular congregational church or the Unitarian church is where she's buried, which would be really weird for capital punishment cases. Right. Uh, But so Lavinia Fisher, for those of you who don't know, uh, was this uh, 19th century Charleston woman married to a man named John Fisher. And as the story goes, they had a couple, she was part of a gang of highwaymen and they had a couple of houses uh, in the back country. So Charleston's on a peninsula and there used to be a wall and to get in or out of the city after dark, you know, you needed the guards and you might not be able to get in. So Lavinia Fisher and her husband ran kind of an inn, for lack of a better way of saying it. These highwaymen also ran these. They would invite local people who were alone in like, Oh, okay, here's, you know, here's a room and here we'll give you something to eat and drink. And then they would serve them poison and, and kill them. And, you know, That'd be it. Like they'd poison them. That basically drug them. They'd kill them in their bed. They'd take their shit. And then they'd bury their body and sell their wares in Charleston for money. Um, now, the story that I heard, and this is why I love Lavinia Fisher, because this is just like every bit of an urban legend, really, because the story is different depending on who tells it, was that a, a fur trapper had come into the home. And, and, uh, and I guess there is some validity to this, although the actual account is, is different. But I, he, he came in and he was there and, and he didn't have a lot of money because he hadn't sold his furs yet. And so they offered him food, tea, and he was a little skeptical because they're really nice and he didn't have money to pay for it. He was just going to sleep in the stable and they put him up in the house. So he didn't drink the tea. And then John Fisher came in to kill him and he was not asleep and not drugged and he was a fucking fur trapper. So he whooped John Fisher's ass and he got out of there and went to Charleston and they got arrested and all. And according to the execution, which was pretty well documented, um, John pled with the crowd and everything. And the crowd was like, no, die. Um, So John Fisher was hung and Lavinia kind of realizing she was screwed, uh, decided to give like the great dramatic exit line, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, and said, you know, if any of you have a message for the devil, let me know, uh, for I shall see him shortly, uh, and jumped and, and caused her own hanging and died, mm-hmm. um, which points for drama, points for drama. But what I love about Lavinia Fisher's story uh, and why it's such inspiration, one, it's so grisly, like it's so gnarly, and it rings of the like moral panics of like when I was a kid in the 80s. Like we've talked about this, like they were like razor blades of the candy. And so cops were like X-raying candy and there was like nothing. There was no evidence of this whatsoever. Um, there were a few like incidents that were very specific attacks, but like there's this whole moral panic. So I like these stories that are kind of, you don't know who to believe. Um, actually, like lately historians doubt that Lavinia Fisher probably had anything to do with any of it. Um, uh, you know, like, so it's this interesting, like really interesting take on it but also things like where's her body buried and like this just it, it forms the basis for so many things i do in stories i tell 
where I dug, you know, like tour guides tell you wherever the body's buried because they don't fucking know. Like, you know, the old jail, like unless you take an old jail tour here in Charleston, you don't take a tour by the old jail, but you do go by the Unitarian. And, you know, the horse carriages go by the Unitarian church. They go by the circular congregational. So if you want to get that story out, you got to bury her somewhere. We'll put her in the circular congregational church. It's convenient. Right? <laughs> because you got to... So if you don't live in Charleston and you ever end up here, like Lavinia, Lavinia Fisher is really interesting. And just go near the old city jail. And that's it. And I remember hearing the story, which I know is, is bunk because she's not buried there. But the story yeah. was that Annabelle Lee and Lavinia Fisher are both buried in the Unitarian Church graveyard. And their ghosts are known to wander. Annabelle Lee, of course, of Edgar Allan Poe fame. And if the ghost is weeping, it's Annabelle Lee. And if it's laughing, it's Lavinia Fisher, which sounds super cool until you realize that Lavinia Fisher is not buried in the Unitarian Church. Yeah. And then you're like, so her ghost travels across town. <laughs> yeah. Usually that's not uh, how ghosts work in lore. But. I mean, I saw Beetlejuice, so I know they can go to other planets. True. And they have sandworms, and they can live mm -hmm. in models, and they have little hooker houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly that. like that. That's exactly it. I know. I've got my <laughs> handbook for the recently deceased. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So we're two and two. Let's go for your next one. Okay. So I have a true story. Oh, um, good. Because I was going to sleep. <laughs> um. <laughs> So this is like my hometown murder. I'm from Clemens, North Carolina, which is a tiny village suburb of Winston-Salem. And in 2014, so I was still in college, <clears throat> in October, actually, October of 2014, two bodies, skeletal remains, were discovered in a man's backyard in Clemens, North Carolina, which is, as any small North Carolina town, you might imagine. It's very religious, very Christian, close-knit. Um, anyway, these skeletal remains were uncovered in a man's backyard. That man was named Pazuzu Algarad, after the demon in The Exorcist. Yeah, I'm like, nice. We're already going places. We are going places. And this is, like, right down the street from my parents' house, you know? It's like... Hits close to home. So October 5th, 2014, bodies discovered. Pazuzu um, described himself as a Satanist, but I don't think he was following, like, the religion of Satanism, which is, like, we, we don't have to get into that argument, but anyway, he... No, I mean, I, look, I totally dig it. I Like, I'll, I'll say it right now. For, for those of you listening, like, I, I firmly hold, and I think what we're dancing around is, I, I firmly hold to the fact that Anton LaVey's Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple are basically super trolly atheists. I'm totally cool with it. I really dig them for it, but they're super trolly atheists. Yeah, exactly. Like, Whereas, he, this this guy literally thought the devil was talking to him and yeah, told he him thought to murder, murder This guy was talking to his men. version of the burning bush. <laughs> yes, yes. And like to the point where he changed his name to a, uh, the demon from the exorcist. Yeah, so um, if he you're, filed his. <laughs> if you're a member of the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple, love your work. We're not judging you. Uh, no, no like, not, no judgment there. I like a good trolling as much as anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. I feel like we just. So, <laughs> thank you for the disclaimer. Um, yeah, so these murders took place in 2009. So five years earlier, so these bodies had been decomposing in his backyard in Clemens, North Carolina for five years. Anyway, he was arrested. When he was arrested, the house was filled with animal carcasses, blood on the walls, you know, like symbols painted in feces and stuff. Anyway, like really, really high-class guy. Um, he went to jail, predictably. Um, and while he was in prison in 2015, I should mention that he had filed his teeth to points. And this comes into play because he was found dead in his prison cell in October of 2015. So, like, I think it was the 28th of October. And there was no weapon found in his cell, but one of the veins in his left arm had been 
ripped out and he bled to death um, in prison. And they didn't find a murder weapon, but like my thoughts immediately go to the teeth. Like you have to be feeling a certain way to do that to yourself. But um, anyway, I knew one of the men who was murdered. He was a farrier who looked after their, um, my horse's feet when I was growing up. He would, you know, do his farrier thing at the barn where I rode horses. And we thought he just went missing because he was gone for, I mean, we just thought he went like dip it out on child support or something. Um, but he would, no, he was murdered. Wow. Yeah. So that, and the fact that it happened in October too, all of it, all of it happened in October. Like so one the day finding this will make its the, way into something. Yes. <laughs> this is very, very bizarre, especially like knowing where I grew up. It's just weird to think about this was all going down. Like the house was beyond saving. They had to demolish it. I think it got demolished um, in 2015 as well because it was just like people were wearing hazmat suits, like trying to clear it out. But there was just so much rot and blood and like ugh, ugh, bad stuff, bad stuff. Well, I'm glad I'm in South Carolina now. Yeah. Um, generally, <laughs> I would argue that North Carolina is the superior Carolina, but for this. Nope. <laughs> not anymore. Nope it out on that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. One, two, three. Nope. Well, yeah. <laughs> so that'll, that'll be something you'll write. I'm sure one day. Yeah. I'm sure something. Oh, from that without a doubt. Something. Um, okay. So my next one. I'm going back to movies, uh, and I'm going to go to the to the to the just general category of the uh, the zombie films of George Romero. Um, love George Romero from Night of the Living Dead all the way through. I loved them all. I don't care if people didn't, but what I what I think I learned from Romero is Romero zombie movies weren't just like zombie movies; like they were always trying to like critique or talk about something. There was always some like philosophical or political or social point he was making. Um. And when you're a kid, like you can be really blunt with that shit. And I think, uh, I think when I started, I was blunt too. Like, I'm not going to pretend I was better than anybody else at this, but when you're a kid, you're like, okay, you know, um, but what happened is I would, I would watch the George Romero stuff and slowly I learned like how to couch things a little bit differently. And like zombies became a vehicle for points about like military versus science and, you know, like consumer culture and, and you know our obsession with like being seen in social media and YouTube and things like that, and it just—I don't know. Like, I'm not going to pretend he was the great master of making political points, but I always see those movies again this time, and it always serves as like a great reminder to me um, to like, hey, I get it that you're making points and all, but try not to club them over the head with them, mm -hmm. uh, and and find a find an interesting way to talk about them because a lot of those tales that that put those points into my head were those zombie movies. Um, you know they're just and then that's it again just storytelling right just tell the story right, right. all right it's time for our finals i finals. hope this is a good one final final one let's get your final influence for the season okay i mentioned it at the beginning of this conversation but blues music music in general the the motif of making a deal with the devil probably at a crossroads. I mean, it's a, it appears throughout human history. It's not just musicians who fall victim to this Satan ploy. Um, but that kind of feeling like the veil is thinning. Like I mentioned Samhain, like the Celtic, um, Celtic holiday, um, that takes place on October 31st. Um, which is our present-day Halloween. I know it was uh, taken from by by the Catholic Church. You know, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Days, November first, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, we mentioned Robert Johnson allegedly going to the crossroads, making a deal, become the best guitarist, blues musician in the world. Um. Bob Dylan allegedly, allegedly, again, allegedly. Don't sue me, Bob. No, no. There's no money have, here. We are poor. We have no money. 
you have all the money. I mean, you um, could sue me, but it's going to be really <laughs> sad. But I just remember watching this documentary. Uh, it was, it might have been No Direction. No, it's not No Direction Home. That's the film. I'll come back to that. But um, anyway, he disappeared from the from film the, you're talking about. Yeah. It's not the one with Kate Blanchett. No, no, it I remember like, the movie you're talking okay, about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this documentary where like he uh, he's being interviewed, uh, not Bob Dylan, but um, anyway, I'm doing a great job of telling the story. <laughs> Bob Dylan disappeared from the folk scene in New York City for like six months, and everyone was making fun of him um, for. Um, you know, not being able to play the harmonica, sounding like a dying cat sort of thing. Like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Um, and then he disappeared for, like, six months. And he came back, and all of a sudden, he was writing all these songs. He was playing very adeptly harmonica and guitar at the same time. Still can't sing. <laughs> well, yeah, like I mean, right. look, the devil, the devil is apparently limited in his fucking capabilities. He's like, look, I can give you a guitar. I can give you the harmonica. We can do some songwriting. What about right. my voice? I can't fucking help you, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, it, oh, I remember the guy's name. It was Dave, Dave Van Ronk, who has the song Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, like Inside Lewin Davis was written based on his life. So Dave Van Ronk allegedly did not make a deal with the devil. Bob Dylan allegedly disappeared, came back six months later and was like a genius. All of a sudden, like people were like, what did you do? And he, apparently he just talked to the man upstairs. That's what he says. He's like very vague about it in interviews. But anyway, based on these two stories, Robert Johnson, Bob Dylan, one of them has outlived the other. Um, and then you get into the whole like 27 club mythology of which Robert Johnson is one of the first members that we care about today. Um, but then you get like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse and all these musicians just who coincidentally just died when they turned 27. And there's like this whole mythology yeah. around that age and which i have surpassed gratefully um, yeah you may, so. well i mean and it's hard to find crossroads now like apparently yeah. I've at a shitload of intersections and i've seen guys begging for change and i've seen people honk against the war and i've heard people tell me that the earth was created in six thousand years but satan is just never at the intersection right uh not saying i would take him up on the offer no not saying i wouldn't no um but <laughs> I actually have a funny story. Well, it's not really funny. Um, I <laughs> I have a st another a sidebar. Um, the we we both know of my um, old college professor, Doctor Adeyefunyan, and he passed away last October. Yeah. Um. Very very sad about that still, and I miss him. But he started teaching me about um, other religions and other beliefs and practices and stuff to the point where I thought I saw Samdi, the um, voodoo deity at a train tracks crossroads <laughs> a few years back. And um, I still don't know how to explain it because I was driving my car um, down um, Morrison drive in Charleston, like upper, Peninsula, like right by the train tracks, and um, I look over, like out of the corner of my eye, I see this old man in a top hat and a suit. This was heat of summer, peak summer in Charleston. Suit, hat, brief, carrying a leather case and a cane, just walking down the train tracks, and like we made eye contact. And I looked away, and I looked back in my rearview mirror, and he was gone. There were nothing, nothing to hide him, unless he just like dropped straight flat on the ground for some reason. But it was just this weird little. It felt like I had seen something I wasn't supposed to, just for an instant. Maybe I'm crazy, but I thought it was kind of cool at the same time. Like that whole business about the veil 
between the worlds thinning. Maybe there's some weight to that. Man, I'm going to be so fucking anticlimactic after that. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, mm. all right. Well, we're going to we're going to cheer it up a little bit because I have a feeling okay. people are going to be nervous around like train tracks and crossroads now. Yeah. So, uh, and I'll, only in Charleston. I think you're just doing that to get the heat off North Carolina. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I, I think you're trying to take the heat off North Carolina after you know, <laughs> after the murder from Pazuzu. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to wrap this up with mine. Uh, and my last one, if you, again, if you listen to me a while, if you know me, then this won't shock anybody. But my last one is my last source of influence, and and it comes up in Halloween because of the nature of the thing is good old Skeletor. Um, and I love Skeletor for a lot of reasons, but I think here's the reason that, that I think of it now, because there's a lot of skeletons and stuff like that out there in costumes and things like that. And there's a lot of stuff that's scary. And, and look, like if you ever go back to the old He-Man like comics that came in the old action figures, like Skeletor is fucking terrifying. He's like, I am Skeletor. You're like, holy shit. Like th there's a reason why they lighten him up a lot in the cartoon. Um, but that's the interesting part, right? He becomes a really memorable villain because we lighten him up. And it kind of goes to show you, like, not everything has to be so one-dimensional. Mm. So I always kind of keep Skeletor in my mind because Skeletor becomes this kind of wry, wisecracking kind of thing in my head. Uh, and, and shows you that you can take something that looks one way and, and have some fun with it and play with it. And I, I do this a lot when it comes time to, you know, write stories. Is the monster really the monster? What's this? What's that? So, yeah, I mean, I'd go deeper. But after the, after the Robert Johnson 27 Club saw Voodoo Deity on the train tracks story, like, <laughs> Skeletor really just doesn't fucking deliver. Uh like but hey you know it's honest i think it's cool yeah yeah it's honest um okay well we're kind of rolling now i think we've i think we've had a pretty great discussion honestly about like inspiration and stuff so final thoughts um go carve some pumpkins go drink that pumpkin spice don't let anyone shame you for enjoying things that you like yeah, that's a good one right there. Um, yeah. Um, and enjoy the season. Pick some apples, you know, go on a hayride, get lost in a cornfield, you know. Yeah, have some. Scarecrows attack you. Have some inspiration. Take some time, <laughs> you know. Like, seriously, take some time. Let yeah, the season yeah. kind of speak to you. And if it doesn't, if this isn't the season that speaks to you, cool. Keep working huh. and, you know, wait for the one that comes, you know. Wait for the one that comes through. You know, I think, right. again, it doesn't, just because this speaks to me in Georgia doesn't mean it has to speak to you. Right. You know? Um, but, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's a really cool time. So I, I'm going to echo that. I think, you know, go out there and, and carve, a, carve a pumpkin, hear a ghost story. Um, you know, watch a scary movie or watch a not scary movie. Shit. I think I'm getting ready to watch. Like, I'm pretty sure tonight I'm watching like the Muppets haunted mansion. Nice. Like it doesn't always have, like, like, there's this whole thing with like extreme haunts and people like torturing you and shit. And, and mm -hmm. I don't know that you have to go that far. Um, yeah. some of my favorite horror movies are still the 50s, 60s, Vincent price stuff. Um, yeah. uh, saw's fine. But for me, those 50s, 60s Vincent Price movies are mwah, chef's kiss wonderful. Yeah. I'm probably going to go watch Rocky Horror. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we could, we could sing Rocky Horror songs. You know, do you feel <laughs> like doing the time warp? Uh, the time warp. I, we're getting close. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, if we start that, we'll go through the whole damn Rocky Horror Song catalog, and then it's just it'll... a jump to the left. I'm not doing it. I'm holding. I'm what? holding. And I'm, oh. I'm resisting. It's taking all my effort to resist. Oh, no. no, I'm sorry. I want to <laughs> jump to the right. Yeah. Um, I don't even want to step to the right. I want to jump to the right. Yeah. Like I, I want to go all in. Um. All right. Well, Georgia, thanks for joining us for the uh, Wacky Halloween special where we talked about seasonal inspiration. Thanks so much for having me back.
Uh, uh, wow, as always. Tell everyone where they can find you and support you and help you. We're all about supporting and helping artists here. So what can we do? Well, thanks. My website is thegeorgiamoon.com. I'm also on Spotify and Apple Music if you feel so inclined to stream my original pieces. And I also have a band camp, georgiamoon.bandcamp.com, where I sell little merch items, including stickers, t-shirts, CDs, all that fun stuff. And uh, got a new project in the works as well, as of yet unnamed. However, hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have another little surprise for everyone if you uh, want to follow along. We'll totally talk about that. Oh yeah. Okay, everybody. Well, check out Georgia supporter stuff. As always, uh, you're about to check her out again because what you may not know is that our intro and outro music is actually a, a Georgia Moon like original that was written just for this show. So it is. Um, so we're gonna go out on the traditional exit music um, because you know I feel like we should get some range here. Uh, but yeah, so thanks for being here with us, everybody. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Everybody get on out there. Enjoy the season. Enjoy Halloween. Find the inspiration. Um, until next time, uh, I'm Matt, just another working writer, and this has been a very special and insightful Halloween confession. I'll talk to you all next time. Um.